I just recently, like as in six months ago, I realized my purpose on this planet is to bring humanity back to the human race, mm. human species. Mm. Like that is what I'm here to do. That's what I've been doing. But I didn't have the words for that until recently. Welcome to the Innovative Founder, the show where entrepreneurs get real. real. These are the raw, the gut-wrenching, often hilarious, sometimes shocking, and definitely entertaining stories of innovative business founders who are making their beautiful dent in the world. No BS, no posturing, and no narcissists allowed. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the unscripted adventures on today's episode. Now, here's your hairless hosts, Bob Regnerus and Brandon Boyd. Hey, hey, innovative founders. Hey, Welcome everybody. Again to the show. Welcome. So, so by now, you really know that the way we work this is when we have one of our guests on, Brandon, we, we hit record. We do. We don't, we don't do the... We don't mess around. Blah, blah, blah is the president of blah, blah, blah. And we read this boring bio. So what we do is we, we, we have the guest on, we hit record and we just start having a conversation. Well, uh, let's just say Brandon and I right now are in a state of just kind of awe. Yes. And we're, we're just really, it's, there was so much good stuff in this interview. So today we talked with Marusha Murphy. Um, I believe we went over an hour. I mean, time passed like this. We did just some really powerful things came out and I, I don't know, Brandon, like every 10 years, you know, so you and I are both early fifties. Mm-hmm. We, we go, we go through these stages of evolution personally mm-hmm. and professionally. Yeah. And I think one of the things we just, we just said about Marusha is that she's had a lot of things happen to her, but she doesn't, what did you say? She doesn't, she have doesn't a, frame anything like a victim. Yeah, and, and I know that's a strong word. And and you know, she what you're going to hear today is you're going to hear about you know parents. I mean, th- there's so many amazing stories, and we're going to have her on again. It was that that amazing, but seven her, her generational, you know, having to uh, was it escape a civil war? You're going to hear a about revolution, that. A re- yeah, revolution, yeah, revolutionary war. war. Um, and you don't hear any vibration of poor me or or. or, or you know, a victim. It, it was all, all of this was a catalyst for what she is building. And Bob and I were just chatting. It's like, whatever she's touching is turning to gold. And because she's taking these beautiful lessons that she learned from her family and life and incorporating it into her client work. And it's amazing to yeah. hear about. It's inspiring. And, and, and I think you would be remiss if you didn't listen to this at least a couple times you also might be thinking well there's not a lot of hard fast business lessons in this show and you know the the type of conversation we have marusha is really where we want this show to be now we're not going to be highly philosophical or spiritual things like that but there's a lot of foundational human principles that Mm -hmm. we talk about we talk about wholeness we talk about love we talk about intention and you you hear Marusha's language about her life's work. And there is, I won't even call it a blurred line, Brandon. Like literally what yeah. she does as a human is what she does in business. Yes. And I think a lot of a lot of people like, okay, that's my business life. And now I got my personal life. Yeah. Good point. And what I see from Marusha is there is it bleeds into the other and you can't tell where one starts and the other ends. Yes. Right. I think think it's a beautiful description of it. And, you know, it's so funny, you know, we we talk, we talk about boxes, we talk about narratives in this episode and the, the growth of growing out of boxes and narratives. And and for her, it was early on. She, would she say 19, she was able to kind of break out of some of the stereotypes and narratives that right. she felt like she was getting boxed into. For now, for you and I, it's probably later. For you know, everyone has their everyone has their, their own time pushing against, right? And even right. she's going to share about motherhood, and yeah. it was a hard time for her because probably there was narratives being pushed upon her. It's like, oh, do like she said, do I do I have to, you know, put my hair up in a bun and, and say no to my businesses now that I that I so enjoy, you know, doing? And the answer, of course not. So lots of great content here and conversation about resisting narratives. And, and of course, that's what entrepreneurs do. You know, we, we push against 
So yeah, so much so recognized by the United Nations for her work mm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> with her coffee company. Yes. Uh, mentored under the Mr. Fred Rogers that we all watched on PBS as children and just a lot of amazing stories. So can't wait for you to hear this and we want to make sure we jump into it right away. So without further ado, we'd like to introduce you to an amazing woman, Marusha Murphy. All right. We are going to have some fun on today's show. We have a good friend, Marusha is on Marusha Murphy. She is an amazing entrepreneur, amazing human being, and you're going to be blown away by this amazing human today. So Marusha, welcome to the show. Welcome. Welcome. Oh my gosh, Brandon, Bob, you guys are the best. I'm so glad to be here. I know it was just more of a friend gesture that I'm actually here, but whatever. I appreciate being here. We'll let you in. Okay. <laughs> you can't just, I mean, you can Take get to the, for the team. You can get to the front of the line by knowing us, but you still got to be innovative. Right? Well, so, thank like, you. so like we actually fast tracked you because like who's yeah. more innovative yeah. than Marusha? Uh, right now does anyone in the audience have ever met or know somebody named marusha i have not it's a cool name that's a great name. thanks what is it what's the what's the name where's it what's the origin yeah so it's actually from northern spain my father is from that region of spain it's the like basque region they speak another language there called euskaran and uh, yeah so my dad wanted to make sure that each of us have an X in one of our names, one of our five names, by the way, that's a nice fun fact about me, five names, one of our names, each of us four kids have one of our names with an X in it. And it either sounds like an SH or a CH just so happens that mine was my first one. So I was that's the awesome. lucky one. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's awesome. I mean, what <laughs> thank a you. Cool name. Like, it's like, it's like your father almost knew, like, I'm going to create this very individual, unique human being. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give her an identity that like nobody else on the planet has. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's so cool. Thank you. And, and I also think it's cool that you like, people will always mispronounce your name unless you tell them how to do it. I was it. trying to figure it out or like Moxa, Maruka, <laughs> Mak, Maruk Saksa. I was trying. So I know that's, that. this is, this is actually one of the best opportunities for those of us who have names that are pretty unique is that telemarketers mm. always screw it up. So right. it's, it's actually great. Cause then we can just play, play with that whole, that whole energy when it, when it comes in. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's nobody here by that name. You know, I yeah, would have exactly. bought your product, but you screwed up my name 10 minutes ago. Sorry. Sorry. We're out. I don't know you anymore. You don't get my credit card. <laughs> exactly. So, Marusha, you got some things going on. Or Bob, did you want to yeah. ask something? Well, I, I did. I, I know we want to ask this one question, but yeah. Marusha, like while we're on the subject of family, you've mm. got a ton of them. <laughs> like a thousand cousins or something? <laughs> what do you people do? Get a hobby. <laughs> My God, repopulating uh, the earth. We don't need we... that done. <laughs> no, seriously, though, my family is huge. Yes, yes, yes. You're right. Yeah. My my mom's one of 11 and my dad is one of six. Wow. Yeah. So then multiply that because everyone has a partner. So you multiply that by that many people, at least one partner. <laughs> and then and then on top of that, most of us have children, right? Or most yeah. of them have children. And so just in my generation, on my mom's, just on my mom's side, there's 39 of us first cousins. Yeah. (laughs) Do you, do you get together often? Like as a big group? Oh my goodness. We do. It is. It's, it's, it's awesome. It, you know, not as much since COVID, but it literally, it, it, you know, it is something that is a big part of how I know about community, right? It is literally how it was. That was my, my own personal incubator (laughs) of understanding how to deal with all of the weirdos in the family and then just be cool (laughs) with it. You know, like, and, and then how do you really love each other in the midst of our differences? How do we really begin to do that? Right. And I think, you know, when I was, you know, five, six, seven years old, it was just like, oh, that's crazy. And, you know, I'm not going to name names because they're probably going to be listening to this. Yeah. And yeah, I'll tell you later. So, but, you know, I just had to, we all learned that that was just a part of who they were. And so, and I had a grandmother that really was the matriarch of the family that really made sure that in the midst of all of our quirks and, and, and the ways of just showing up in the world, we would love each other well, 
we would love each other from a place of understanding that it's not just, we don't just love them because they're family, but that we're creations that were made uniquely and perfectly made in, in, in her eyes and God's eyes. Right. And so from that, that's how I understood this idea of community. And I understood that, yeah, family, family is meant to be crazy. And that's just a small little microcosm of the rest of the world. <laughs> so you've got to have some phenomenal stories around this. So families always be crazy. So we've all got family, you know, and, and we see them not nearly maybe as frequently as you do. It sounds like it's it's very much important how yeah. often you get together. So tell us some stories. Was there in your personal growth, your evolution and, and discovering how important this was to you? Were, were, were some examples of you mentioned matriarch of the family? So what, what were some shining examples for you that's like, oh, this mm-hmm. is how it's done or this this quality in a person or this this habit is is so critical for making an important family unit when you got a bunch mm-hmm. of psychos, weirdos. And yes, <laughs> if for for Marusha's family that is listening to this, if you think it's you <laughs> she's talking about, it is. So just deal. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and I have to say, actually, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll share, I'll share this example because I think it's really important. And then I'd be more than glad to share some other stuff that I have started to recognize about my family and why, man, why innovating community, for example, is something that I just, I can't help but want to continue navigating towards in, in my body of work, but then with the transformational leaders that I get to work with. And it was the initial, the initial feeling or story that I want to share is, is the moment we moved from the Philippines. I grew up in the Philippines. So my mom is Filipino, Chinese Filipino on her dad's side and Puerto Rican and Jamaican on her mom's side. Her mom, my grandmother, grew up in a very abusive home. And by the time she was 19 years old, she decided to leave Puerto Rico and move to New York and started her own life. I mean, can you imagine 19 years old just being like, peace out? I'm not going to deal with this ever again. And I'm out. So she did. She made that leap. My grandfather, Chinese Filipino, decided to take a leap as well. He left his small town in the Philippines and went also to New York to get his degree in engineering. And so you know, by happenstance, they, they meet, they fall in love, they get married. She moves to the Philippines. And what the stories I've I always heard growing up were stories of, of, of her, specifically her, making anywhere feel like home. So this woman, again, Puerto Rico to New York, now all the way across the world to the Philippines, made the choice to make this place her home. And again, you know, I think sometimes we take that for granted, like home is often a construct that we are given by people that raised us. And, and, and what that means to be home is often based on what, whether or not we had a positive experience or not. And so for her, she actually had to reconstruct an idea of what home meant to be able to be a stand for how she was going to raise her, what ended up being 11 children. So all of that being said, she ended up moving once more to Florida after divorcing my grandfather and, and choosing a, a new life in Florida. And I'll never forget when we were making the trek in 1986 to the U.S. because of a war in the Philippines. My, my mom at that time, was it was my mom, myself, I was five years old, my brother was four, and my sister was two. So mm. a woman with now three children under the age of five and under, three kids under five, no, five and under trekking across the world, also choosing brave to now come to the, a new, to a new country. The mm-hmm. first thing I, I'll never forget this. It's so clear as if it was just yesterday, my grandmother and my aunt Pia specifically were at the, at the gate of the, of the airline of my, of where we were coming out of the airplane. Right. So, and remember it was back in the day where we could actually go all you, the way to the you gate. You could go through security. There, yeah, wasn't could go through sec- right, there was right. no security. Right. So we were all, they were there and they had their arms wider than like wider than life. And I remember my aunt Pia just coming to me and goes, Marusha, my grandmother just hugging me as if they've known me my whole life. And it was in that moment, I realized I have never met these two crazy women, but <laughs> holy crap, I feel so loved. And I feel like I belong somewhere. Wow. 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 Yeah. 
right? Like what can we create? How those, those small acts of love and that, that the energy that just poured through those two women that are in my life to say, I love you and welcome. You're welcome here was massive because we were leaving because of a war. My dad was in hiding. That's another story for another day, or maybe today. I don't know, but you know, he was in hiding. And so I, here I was as a five-year-old child, just being like, I don't know what we're about to see. And there were, there were those big, huge, massive arms, you know, mm. it was powerful. And I think one other story I'd love to share about my family, my crazy family is when I was a teenager. Now the five-year-old Marusha was all nice, sweet and innocent and cute. The, <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course she was. I, I am, I'm, I am like, I am known in my family for the craziness I did as a teenager. We're not going to go into those stories, but yeah, we are. Come on. No, and okay. we don't really. But but I'll tell you this one, and this is just again to show the kind of home that I grew up in yeah. and the and the value that my grandmother really instilled. So, we all lived in the same area of Orlando, like within two miles was most of my crazy 39 cousins. Okay. So we literally took over the city. So, <laughs> it was a mob. Walt, Walt yeah, Disney and Marisha's family. And yeah, yeah, yeah. our family. Take no, over. I, there were awesome. moments where literally I was in elementary school. I'm like, that's my cousin. That's my cousin. That's wow. my cousin. Oh, I mean, man. like we all grew up in the same area. Right. So, so anyway, we would go to grandma's house. My, I call her mamita, by the way, mamita little mama, but mamita. So we would go to mamita's house. And as a teenager, she would make sure she would look at me because she was always knew I was, I was doing some, I was doing something naughty. She would give me that, that look, like you just know that she knows because she was there probably when she was your age. And she would say, I don't care what you're doing. Just know I always love you. And also bring your friends over here because I want to feed them. I didn't uh, realize that was her way of like getting to know my people, right? And the people I would spend time with. The other thing she would also do is she would invite us into her house. And every day I'd be like, Mamita, I want to introduce you to my friends. You know, I would say Brandon and Bob, you know, let's say you guys are, we're high school friends of mine. We'd come over and she'd be like, oh, Brandon, Bob, it's so nice to meet you. Now you're not welcome into this house until I get a kiss. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she knew oh she would tell you in that moment. Yeah. She would tell you, she was like, Adorable. give me a kiss. And then once you did like, and you like, that you went through that initiation, then you were her, like another one of her kids. She wouldn't, wow. she wanted to know what, what you were doing every single day. You know, she would ask me if she hadn't seen you for a while. And at her funeral three years ago, they had, we had over 500 of our friends and, and from, from all the years there to wow. see, to, to pay their condolences because of the amount of unconditional love that she gave. So that's my crazy, wacky family. That was her wacky, I guess that was wacky. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. amazing. So let me ask you this question. I, and, and Bob, I know you want to jump in, but what does that do for you as mm -hmm. a teenager to hear that? Hey, I don't care what you do. I still love you. What does that do for you? What does it do for you as a teenager? What, 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 mm. yeah. what does that do? You know, I think it did two things. Well, I know it did two things. One. I know that she knew that I was going to screw up and I knew I was going to screw up. And even so I had enough, had enough space. I had that freedom to know that I could screw up. And also that there was always someone I could go to no matter what. And, you know, in a world where now I have my own children, all, all girls. <laughs> oh, karma. Yeah, yeah. It was total karma. It's total. <laughs> but just to be able to hold space for them in that same way. And then also to see that, you know, that was, that was my number one, that was my example, but it was also the example of my own mother, mm. right. And of her siblings. And so they, she, by that intention of just seeing those very simple words created this incredible, currently up to three generations beyond her, you know, of impact of, of creating this sense that it is okay to screw up. You're okay as you are. And I love you anyway. Mm. Yeah. You know, her making that powerful yes in her own life has now impacted three generations and we'll continue from there. Well, it's not only impacting your family, it's impacting your clients. And yeah. 
I mean, yeah. when did you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to like, did you jump into entrepreneurship or did you take a take a job and then kind of jump in? Like, let, let's talk a little bit how you got into what you're doing. Yeah, that's a great, great question. I mean, so some people would say I've been doing being in, I was an entrepreneur at age five, right? When I started my first talent show and charged, you know, 25 cents per head. There you go. <laughs> to, I love it. To come in. <laughs> yeah. So I was doing that back then. However, yeah, I mean, I, I went to college in 1998 is when I started my college career and came into college expecting I was going to just check off all the boxes to college. And then next thing I would do would be get a job. And I had the opportunity during that exact same time to be, you know, the, the college I went to is a college called Rollins College. It's a private liberal arts college. And there's something to be said for these liberal arts schools, you know, we, in the sense we, uh, really... my daughter almost went there. We toured that. It was a oh, really, no yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that visit. Ended up not going wow. there for other reasons, but that was, yeah. we were really impacted by that school. Yeah, that's a really, it's a, it's a beautiful campus for sure. Yes. And, and just to be frank, I'm the only way I was able to get there was a Fulbright scholarship. So thank you for mom and dad for making me work hard. <laughs> it was very expensive, but it was a great, it was a great experience. And the liberal arts side of the conversation really helped me just expand possibility. So I knew I was going to, well, actually I changed my major five times, but had I been like most people and had one major during my whole process there, I would have known. And, and I still did know that my major was just as a, as an opportunity for me to see the world a little bit more from that box, but really my, the box, if I had a box was really just to get out, how can I, how can I use this degree and get out of the box and try and, and really become an innovator in my work, whatever that body of work would be. So I had some incredible professors that came to me and said, you know, you're not a typical, <laughs> not a typical kid here. You are the type of person that needs to lead, lead movements, lead opportunities, lead people into creating their transformation. Wow. And of course, as a 22 year old, I'm like, okay, I want to just, you know, have a good time, meet a great person, have fun, and then make more friends and then have a career. Like that's all I really wanted to do at that point in my life, really. But that was true. You know, I did care about my community. I did care about, about the people I went to school with. I actually was creating massive impact already on the campus. And so when, when this particular professor said that and kept saying that over a span of a year, it really helped me recognize that I, I had something to, to give the world. And so I started my career in higher education, building community, really specifically focusing on leadership and identity development, and then ended up having the opportunity to get my master's degree in mental health counseling. So I decided to go down that path. And my career really took me into higher education. So my first career was in leadership and identity development, specifically in the Office of Multicultural Affairs. And, and I, I started to work with students of marginalized backgrounds to really help them and support them in feeling a sense of community, a sense of belonging on a campus that didn't look like them, that, that mm. were primary, was primarily upper class or middle upper class white Christian back of, you know, those are the, were the backgrounds straight community. Yeah. So I got to work with a lot of the, the marginalized populations and really help them feel aligned and, and connected back into the, into the college itself. So I started there, worked hundred hours a week, <laughs> mm. every week for $42,000 a year. And I was burnt out, you know, and I did that for, until for five years until 2008. Yeah. So by then I was like, okay, let's find another way. And that was really when entrepreneurship kind of came back into my into my mind's eye of like, let's go this way. And let's see if I can imagine creating outside of the box, outside of this, this ecosystem of being an entrepreneur and see what else is possible when I take leadership and identity work into the business space or just into any space outside of this space, <laughs> really right. where it was at first. Sure. And then, and then I saw in 2008, I saw, I guess it was an ad or something maybe in a chat room somewhere, like, Hey, if you create an ebook, you can make millions of dollars. And I was yes. like, yeah, that's interesting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> true. Like that. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, all the millions of dollars we've made with our ebooks. Right. So, right. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I saw that though, I was like, I started this idea. I was like, what if, what if I could actually take my knowledge and my know-how of creating community and just do it differently? Like do it virtually. Is that even a thing? And at that point, we really both then my, my partner, Dennis and I decided, you know what, let's figure this out. Let's figure out how can we make it a thing? And can we, can we make, is there actually millions of dollars on the other end of that? (laughs) (laughs) So we, so we decided to jump into that journey and that's really the beginning of getting online and, and having created the successes that we have. Well, if you haven't discovered by now, Marusha Murphy is an amazing human and she has some amazing abilities to work with leaders. If, if you're in a position where you are an influencer or an expert, or even if you're a person who right now has this personal mission and wants to get out to the world, I wouldn't recommend anyone other than Marusha to work with. She has some new resources at revolutionarycommunities.com forward slash workshop. These are some brand new things, but she has been building communities for her entire career. She's most known for createcellimpact.com. And you will also hear her talk about her coffee brand, perkyperky.com. But Marusha is the person, if you have a mission, if you want to impact the world, you want to build a community and support a movement, I wouldn't recommend going any other place other than Marusha. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd. So if you haven't noticed already or, or surmised, community is very important to Marusha. And it's literally what she does day in and day out. And what we're learning is it's been part of your life since you were literally yeah. a baby. Five. Yeah. yeah. I was little. Yeah. Yeah. So a, oh, yeah, go ahead. Bob. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I don't mean to catch up. I'm 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 such a part of the Marusha fan club right now. I'm I'm loving this conversation. Marusha, you said identity and leadership work. Tell me about the identity uh, work a little bit. What why that? What was about mm, that? Okay. Yes, I'd love to talk about that. No one usually picks that up. So I appreciate Mm. that you did. Mm. So the identity work. So multiracial over here, never felt like I was home anywhere. So Mm. this idea of belonging is definitely this, this concept of belonging has always been something that I think, you know, I've, I've, I've worked, try to work through if that's a thing. Well, it is a thing. I've worked through. <laughs> I've been working through. When I was 19 years old, I had this incredible experience where I I was really in a I mean 19 is such a pivotal age for our own individualized identities, right? Trying to figure out who we are as humans and and at that point in my life, I really didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And felt in fact, I'd go and hang out with my friends who are Puerto Rican. They were like, "You're not Puerto Rican enough. Go learn Spanish." I'd hang out with my friends who were Filipino and they're like, definitely don't look Filipino. You don't belong here either. I moved, I even moved myself to Spain to be like, are you my mother? And they were like, we don't, yeah, you don't, you don't really fit. You're too American. Yeah. So I did not feel like I had a home and I had this minute where I was at an event and I was, I you know, I talk, you know, at that point I was, I was really in the Christian world. I'm not so much Christian anymore. However, at that point I was, and I had a conversation with God and I felt all of a sudden it was like, he was saying, Marusha, you are not just holy H O L Y, but you're holy mine W H O L Y and you are whole. And so it was a moment of realizing I am actually whoever I choose to be. Wow. In this moment. Love it. It was powerful. And so as a 19 year old, getting that kind of like, whoa, moment in my own spiritual life was, was huge for me. But I also right, realized that my peers had no idea what it means to be whole and choose wholeness within themselves. And I, part of the work I started to do in my own body of work that started at that, at that point in my life was how do we help people create wholeness within ourselves? How do we come to peace with all of who we are from our racial identity, ethnic identities, our age, our ability, our sexual orientation, you know, our, our, our choices are, you know, in all aspects of religion, spirituality, Mm -hmm. how do we create wholeness in all of that? And that was, so the part of my work when I, when I am 
supporting leaders, transformational leaders, is to to find that wholeness, right? And mm. and really design design their vision for community from that place of wholeness first and foremost. Because when we're that. fully aligned in, we're in our essence. We can't help but create something really pretty magical on the outside. It sounds like that's where you start. That's where you begin with people because there's a bajillion leadership courses out there. And that's why I wanted you to talk about that, that identity part. And I love that you start with, Hey, you're not broken. You are whole complete just the way you are, which is the message you got from your mother when you were a teenager and be before that Yeah. say, I know you're going to do all these things and I don't need to know. And I love you regardless of what you do. And it's like, that that has been such a theme for you. It sounds That's like true. And so, and, yeah. and now it and and there's where you started, and how and how important is that? So yeah. I love that. Hmm. I had and, to put those two together. So thank you for that, Brandon. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that and and ultimately, what you just said is essentially for for people that are spiritual. That's the essence of your spiritual existence. Like you are love for who you are right and what what we've experienced and you know we we get crusty over the years it's like well we love you conditionally like if you look like us if you talk like us if you follow these rules or you follow these things then you could be one of us yeah and you know we see a lot of that in our society we've talked about this with other guests marisha where it's like where we 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 struggle to find who we are to be individuals to like fully be who we are because the world's so divided and they're trying to put us into buckets. And I think entrepreneurs, not exclusively, but mostly kind of feel like, Hey, wait a minute. Like they, a lot of entrepreneurs don't get comfortable being put in boxes. Like it's just, there's something within us in our spirit won't let us put let society like put us into a box. So yeah, Yeah. I, I, I really identify with you, Marisha, where sometimes it's like, for for a time in, in in my life, and Brandon could probably attest to this too. Like you, you basically said, oh, "Okay, well, this is what others think I am, and mm-hmm. so I'll just do that, or I'll be that for a while." And then yes. you realize, like, wait a minute, I'm not comfortable in this suit. Like this yeah. isn't like what I'm hearing in my spirit is not really what's happening. And you just you yeah. go through these moments where you're like, wait a minute, you know? And yeah, I've heard that voice, and I've heard that voice say things that are contrary to what others say. So. You know, I, I love that you shared that. And I'm, I, I'm really glad to know that you had that voice at 19. Mine yeah. was 39 years old. I'm like, I'm jealous. You I think mine years. was about a week ago. Yeah. yeah. So like, I'm so jealous, but right? I, I think that's an amazing <laughs> thing. And if, if we, man, if we just as leaders, like would just remind young people like, hey, I love you for who you are, yeah. for what you do. I know you're going to mess up. I, you know, it's like part of growing up, but like, I'm still here for you. Like mm. if we could just do that as a society, a lot of yes. these issues would melt away. Mm. And yeah. that's just, it's just an amazing insight that you gave. Like I'm, I'm touched. By yeah. It. You know, thank you, Bob. And you know that, I mean, that's just, I appreciate this conversation because honestly, this is, this is, has been what's been bubbling since 19. I'm 42 now. Right. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a fascinating journey to get to a place, place where I'm seeing the power of my work. I've been doing this for 22 years. Good Lord. But also, and also I'm only starting to see the power of my work in my clients, like over and over again. I've done, I've built over a hundred communities. I've been that almost that grandmother, my mamita energy coming out for the communities I've had the pleasure of serving and, and aligning with. And yet it's still such a powerful work in progress. What I mean by that is like, I just recently, like as in six months ago, I realized my purpose on this planet is to bring humanity back to the human race. Human species. Mm, like that is what I'm here to do. That's what I've been doing, but I didn't have the words for that until recently. Mm. And, and it's just like what you just said, Bob, like if we are giving ourselves full permission to imagine a world of love, like come as you are and you are welcomed as you are, let's embrace that. How can that actually shift? And, and then we come from it with an open mind, not from a place of fear, but from a place of love. How can that absolutely shift the way in which we do business, the way in which we see the people in our families, the way in which we see our neighbors, right? Mm-hmm. It's so, incredible. So you know what's amazing, it's, Marusha? Uh-huh. Yeah. We, 
we all heard this as children, right? There was a particular program where we, there was one adult in our life Mm -hmm. that every day would tell us, I love you just the way you are. Won't you be my neighbor? And here's what we discovered. You know, our producers like amazing. You got mentored by the person I'm talking about, Mr. Rogers himself. Oh yeah, we got to talk about Mr. Rogers. What? Oh, how God. did this happen, Marisha? Literally, God. you're like channeling Mr. Rogers mm, right now. Yeah. Won't how did this happen? When did this? Happen? My neighbor. Won't you please? <laughs> Do you want me to keep singing? Won't no, you please? I actually okay. don't. Okay. So I want to hear Marisha's. I was trying to like lead in for Marisha, but but. Well, that was that was a really. I appreciate that. Brandon. She was digging. It was a good. Right, I was. Right. I, I was. I was. I was going to bring you back. You know. I was right. bringing you back to the those moments and those memories. Okay. okay so yeah. So how it happened. So yes, that is true. Your producer is amazing. I can't believe he, he found that, that information. And yeah, so I knew that Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers was a student at Rollins College. I knew that. That was when you go to Rollins, they tell you about that. And he was also on the board of the board of board of directors. Yeah. He's, he's, he yep. was one of those yeah, yep. board of directors, right? He was. Yeah. So, so I knew that he would come to campus every so often, you know, head knowledge. But as an, again, 18, 19 year old kid, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I don't know how it pertains to me other than he was somebody that I absolutely looked up to when I was a child, because as a five-year-old, I didn't feel like I fit in. That was the only place I would, other than my grandmother, that I would hear that message, right? Come as you are, you're welcome. And you are our neighbor. And, and I was walking one day up to our campus bookstore. It was on top of this like very small hill because Florida, yeah. uh, but this really tiny hill. You walk up to this bookstore and I'm seeing an, an, an elderly man tying his shoe right by the by the front of the, the bookstore. And I couldn't see who it was. I just saw the like the more like of a, you know, a thin framed man tying his shoe. And I could see that he was wanting to, he just finished tying his shoe and was trying to get up, but he was having a little bit of a hard time. So I just went over and I said, sir, may I be able, may I help you get up? And of course he turns his head to me to the, which is like to the right, right? He turns his head over to me and I see that it's Mr. Rogers. And all of a sudden, Marouche turns into this five-year-old little girl and is like, just like in awe and just like, Mr. Rogers? <laughs> Oh, wow. oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was wild and and it was profound. And he goes, "Oh, hello." And I and I said, "Hi." And he goes, "Thank you so much for helping me up today. What is your name?" You know, and so he asked me my name. And I'm just like in this like weird world of like, I was just thinking about the boy that I thought was super cute just a few minutes before that. And then I saw this (laughs) old man next to know it's Mr. Rogers and it was all this stuff. And I, you know, I tell him my name and he goes, well, that was very nice of you. I mean, literally it was just like, I was just interacting with the show in real life. So that was, that kept me on a high for the rest of the day. What I didn't know was that he, along with some incredible other mentors who ended up becoming mentors in my life and a few incredible students at the time, were a part of this leadership society. And he and, and you know, that crew would kind of like seek out who on the campus were also leaders and, you know, and to be a part of the secret society, basically. So come spring, that was my fall semester of my freshman year, come the spring, I'm given a note, like this, like little piece of paper in my mailbox. And it said, come to, so creepy, actually, when you think about it, we've been watching you. Oh, not even joking. You. There you go. We've been watching you for your, because of your character. And I was like, okay. Um, okay. Weirdo. Meet, yeah, I know. meet me at the chapel at XYZ, meet us <gasps> at the chapel on this day at this time. Okay. Like that's like the perfect scene for like a, every scary movie, every yeah, horror yeah, movie yeah. in the world. Totally. Right. Yeah. Screen. But of course, so that just like a horror movie, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go check out what's going to happen next. You know, like, just, like, why not? This is super intriguing. Sure. Let's go check what's it out. What's the worst that could happen? Well, let me walk into that dark house where the electricity isn't on. <laughs> right. Yeah, this will be fine. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So here I am, you know, heading into the chapel and I actually see one of my very, very, very best friends. His name is Stuart Parker. He is now, he's a, he's a high school teacher here in Orlando, Florida, has won teacher of the year many times over for his incredible work. So 
I want to do a shout out to him because he also was part of this experience. So we both are getting, we both realized we have these notes in our hands and we're like, Hey, this is so weird. So we walk into the chapel at the same time together. And next thing you know, there's this group of every single person that I just absolutely looked up to. Mr. Rogers was there and and, I, and you know, a few other amazing humans. And uh, yeah, they invited us to be a part of this leadership society. And in, in and through that process, I had the pleasure of having many conversations with Mr. Rogers, with his wife, who's also passed away. Mm-hmm. And, and, and many of the other incredible people. And when I say, I don't want to give their names because they were part of that experience, but they were also, they're part of changing the entire like community here in the Orlando area. They're huge parts of the Orlando history and the Rollins history as well. And, and I had the pleasure of being mentored by them until his, until his passing a couple of years later. So it was, it was powerful. And part of the, part of the mentorship was teaching. It was the teaching of how to show up as leaders, how to be in service and, and that love is service. Love is, is, is full service. And so what does that mean? So we get into these really big kind of, you know, crazy deep conversations about what this, what does this look like in actuality and in practicality? And, uh, and then the, the ask of each of us students was go out and do, go and live, go and live this out. Go practice it. Go practice it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So on that note, fondest memory of your mentorship with, with Mr. Rogers, like if there's a defining story, moment, connection, conversation mm-hmm. with him that, I mean, we, we all know him through the television and clearly yeah. the man with such beautiful impact and, and mission, but yeah. do you have a favorite story in your mentorship time with him? Yeah. I mean, you know, he was, he was older at the time. So it was, and it was right before he passed away. So that being said, there were, there were just a few moments, you know, and, and really it was, and his wife later on, as when I became director of multicultural affairs and she was on the board of directors, she was really that person that I would talk to and and sit with and say, how would you handle this situation? You know, and she would actually invite into the conversation what her husband would say. Yeah. What if, would you imagine if he would say this and how would you, you know, there were a lot of situations on, on the Rollins campus that, you know, I, I was the youngest director of multicultural affairs ever. I was 26 when I became director, which was unheard of. I was supposed to have a master's degree. They were like, okay, well just try to just get it now. <laughs> I was like, okay, thanks. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. Thanks. I really appreciate it. So I was really young and I was also maneuvering some big conversations on around discrimination, identity work, you know, really holding space mm. for people who are maybe not, who hadn't felt comfortable coming out of the closet to their family and their friends. And yet they were telling me their stories. And so, and, and then how did that show, you know, how it showed up in the hiring process at the college, you know, there was, it was just all, I was invited to these incredible conversations. Wow. So I would go to her and I would say, I would, I would ask her, I'd say, Hey, would you help me <laughs> think this through? <laughs> what do you think? And she would just, she would give her, her advice and, and really begin to share, you know, always come, don't forget to just come from love. And she would say, you know, Fred would say this, da, 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 and she would just bring in his words as well. And so those, I have more of those memories. I mean, the memory, my favorite memory is that moment when I helped him up. And then that first day in that room with Stuart and the other students and the other faculty and staff that were there of just of seeing his smile and, you know, really just saying, I believe that you were supposed to be in this space. You're in this room for a reason, you know? And so yeah. it was, but it wasn't, it was, it wasn't a ton of, of those moments, unfortunately, but it was those that really impacted me. When he, when I graduated, I was actually given the honor of being what they call the medallion winner. So a graduation, two people at that time, it was gendered. So it was a a female and a male would get the award, this medallion award, and you'd have to be part of this leadership society to be eligible for this. So we were the ones that kind of like rose to the top from that. Mm -hmm. And so they put our names in the chapel. So Bob, if you ever come back to Rollins, Brandon, if you ever want to come visit in the chapel, you'll see my name. And right above my name is Fred McNeely Rogers, which was pretty, that was pretty exciting too. I was like, Aw. we walked through the chapel and <laughs> wouldn't wow. it have been funny for me to see my friend's name on that wall. 
That would have wow. been amazing. Everybody, I hope you're enjoying the show as much as we are. Marusha, what an amazing, amazing human and doing some amazing things regarding communities. Uh, her story is so inspiring to me personally. And truth be told, this is exactly, exactly the type of people and businesses that we believe video can amplify better than any other media out there. Um, we're working with Marusha, we're excited to work with her, but if you're this type of business, if you're a business that is looking to have in influence and need a, a, a megaphone, an amplifier, video is your tool. So we're so excited to work with her. We're excited about the projects we're doing for in the future. And we're so excited, most of all, to amplify her mission that is already gaining so much traction. So if you're asking the question, you know, could my business use video? The answer is absolutely yes. We help people get out of their own way. If this is something that you want to talk about more, Please go to feedstories.com and book a session with Bob and I where we're going to talk through a basic strategy and what types of videos you need for your business so you can get your message out there. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd. So, community, conversation, yeah. but you also love a third C, coffee. So, wh <laughs> where, does, where does coffee play in all coffee. this? Mm. Let's let's coffee. talk about coffee a minute. Sure. I while I take coffee. a while I take a sip of coffee right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, so coffee actually started back when I was five, this 5 years 5 years old. I don't know if I was 5 or 4 or whatever, but my father started me on my love for coffee. He I I learned that coffee was more precious than alcohol. And what I mean by that is I was actually not allowed to drink coffee until I was 18. And I was able to drink wine at 11. Dad. Okay. So there's I that. I really like him. Yeah, he's a he's good great. man. He's a good man. He's a very, he's a Spaniard. And he's like, what? you have to have wine when you're 11. If not, like, what's wrong with you? What? Coffee? It's sacred. You're not touching it until you're 18. <laughs> like, you're not worthy of coffee. But take the alcohol. Amazing. Yeah. Have you heard of tequila? Yeah, right. So, but, and the reason, and actually, he's actually really brilliant. And I, not that I'm doing this. Maybe I should. I don't know. He actually, he, his mind frame was whatever you're not allowed to have, you're going to become obsessed with. So genius. He was yes. like 11 years genius. old. Just get it out of your system. 18, get into coffee. And I did, I did get obsessed with coffee. So while I was in college, instead of going and getting crazy drunk, I was going and studying coffee. Cause you did that and at 11. <laughs> we got that out of the way at 11. Yeah. We're done. We're done. We're done with all that. <laughs> so, so yeah. So 18, I started getting caffeinated and I, I mean, I, but then I went like, I went crazy because I was like, like waiting at the door at Starbucks before they open jittery kind of no. Hello, definitely not start not starbucks no no oh, no 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 oh, that is no. that is a whole no if, okay. if i i would have like only the best <laughs> oh i was I'm one of those people snob okay tell us tell us 100%. what is the best coffee i'm a coffee drinker tell us well tell there's us. so many i don't have an i don't have a best every okay. and my belief is that everyone's best is the one that they they feel you know the best to right. taste enjoy so that being said, I personally love a really like fruity, low acidity coffee. There's some really good ones. Kona coffee, Hawaiian, mm -hmm. like from Hawaii. Yeah. Really, really great to me personally. Then Ethiopian coffee is always delicious as well. It has a very, it has more of a lemony flavor to it. We can always do a coffee, coffee. It's called coffee cupping. It's the worst word ever, but <laughs> coffee cupping, if you guys ever want to do it, and I'll teach you how to drink coffee really well. I do. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Let's do I it. I want to do it. What does it do? Uh, it sounds fun. It's so fun. It's like, it's basically like wine tasting, but it's okay. learning how to do that for coffee. It's fabulous. And, and then of course, Costa Rican coffee is just phenomenal. It's very mild. It's light, but it has a very, it's like almost like chocolate. It's like eating chocolate. It's like drinking chocolate. Basically. Mm. It's how really do you good. prefer to brew it? What's your, what's, uh, your, what's your, my brew? way is I love pour over for the meditative process of it. It's so slow, mm. but it is like, I did it for my dad. My dad actually never did pour over. He only did espressos. Right. So one day I was like, dad, this is me now in my thirties. I was like, dad, I'm going to show you how to really, you know, a new way of doing coffee. And I did the pour over. He was like, Marusha, 
it is the slowest process in the world. <laughs> what is I could I will already have great great grandchildren if it yes. takes a step. Like, oh my god, oh my god. And I would have had so, wine before yeah. this. <laughs> Plenty of wine. <laughs> oh, it's so amazing. anyway, yeah. I love it. That's, uh, but that's how I got into it. The long and the short of that is got into it to the point of having a business out of it. I created a coffee company in 2016 called Perky Perky Coffee. And it's it. still in existence to this day. We roast out of Austin, Texas, where where I lived for very uh, quite some time, for about 10 years. So our roasting company is still there. And it was really created out of community, going back to community. You know, we, I, I, at that point I had just had my third daughter and I felt like I lost myself in motherhood. Like I just, I didn't know how to be both an entrepreneur in the way in which I wanted to be and also be the kind of mom I wanted to be. And I just kind of just gave up everything and just figured the way I'm supposed to be a great mom is to just, you know, basically wear my hair in a bun, never wear makeup anymore, and just forget about this whole other past that I had. And that's what a good mom does, right? Mm. So I had a moment of that. And that was in like 2014. And my friends basically came over one day, <laughs> had an intervention, and they looked at me, they brought a big old bottle of wine. Of course. And of course, this is what good friends do. Big old yes, bottle of do. wine. Yes. And literally just stormed into my house and said, this, what's going on with you right now is not you. We got to change this and we want to help you remember who you are. And that was huge. And so as part of that intervention, if you will, in my life, it was really looking at like, well, what does it mean for me to be both a mother as well as have all these other identities of being a woman um, and celebrate all of that and be all of that in my life. And so in that process, I started having other conversations with other moms. <clears throat> we created a community in Austin, Texas called the Austin Moms Network, basically because we believed it takes a village to raise a mom. <laughs> it is the hardest <laughs> job in the world. Well, I'm sure it takes a village to raise a father too. So, then, you know, yeah. but I can only come from the, that identity that I had. And so sure. I created this community and uh, yeah, it's to this date, it's about 19,000 women large and has won awards in the city of Austin for being one of the best resources for new families coming into town. But I also started to have this conversation with the, these women at that time of like, what does it look like to be all like all of who we are, whatever that means, no judgment, but just like, who do, who are we? And I started to recognize that in my own journey, my own process, my morning meditation and my morning ritual of having my cup of coffee, the slowness of that, my journaling time, my yoga or my dance time, that was all a part of mm -hmm. me finally reconnecting back into myself. And so I started doing this work with these gorgeous women and in doing that, and then, you know, really thinking about, well, what kind of business do I want to create next? this idea for a coffee company that was dedicated to inviting women to step into their power from the first cup in the morning and onwards throughout the day came, came out of that. Wow. And so we launched the coffee line, like I said, in 2016, the first month of, because I had really engaged the community of these incredible women prior to launching. And during the launch, they were part of the whole process. We sold a thousand bags of coffee month one, and it's just continued to grow. You know, the United Nations came to us in 2019, end of 2019 said, Hey, for women's entrepreneur day, we want to invite you Marisha to be one of the top 10 women owned brands to be on the lookout for with Perky Perky for 2020. And I was like, okay, that wow. sounds good. <laughs> Let's go <Wow>. do that. <laughs> so yeah. So it's been, it's, it's, you know, everything I do, you know, definitely has to be connected with some, something I'm passionate about. And at the same time, I want to see impact in the world because of the, the work that I, I get to play in and that coffee brand, like I said, it's still in existence. It's still serving its mission and it's still growing a lot of caffeinated women into their power every day. <laughs> Good tagline, growing caffeinated women into their power. I love it. Taking caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> So let's, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Like, obviously you've been helping other entrepreneurs build community. And just before we hit record, you were saying, look, I'm, I'm evolving again. So maybe yeah. kind of tell us a little bit about where you've been, but let's more importantly, tell us kind of where you're going. Sure. Sure. So 
Yeah. You know, as I mentioned, and I've said even here in this interview, you know, it's, this is a journey, this whole, this whole thing called entrepreneurship is it's such a journey. And part of what I've started to recognize is that, you know, I've been, I've had the pleasure and the honor of really being behind the scenes, really serving incredible brands powerfully well with their own community experiences. We're, we're often, many of us, you know, in business, we know how to do the strategies like, Hey, come in here. I'm going to teach you a strategy. But one of the things that we often forget is how do we be right. And, and in this conversation around wholeness and the conversation around creating, creating identity, I also believe that to be able to hold space for the vision that us as, as leaders in this world want to have, and you know, the vision that we all have for the world we have to be able to see for ourselves like who we truly are to hold that hold that space. And sometimes when we look within ourselves, it's really intimidating, right? Or like, who me? I'm yeah. allowed to do that? I yeah. can do this? So as I started to hear that over and over and over again and start to see also that the clients that I've worked with that have made those brave moments in their life, that brave, that brave reclamation for themselves in their lives, that who I am on the inside is is can be reflected in the way in which I do my work and the way in which I create transformation in the world. I started to see really the power of, of, of them in the reclamation showing out in the world. And those were the communities that were really majorly making a massive impact. But when, when leaders were too afraid to really look at their own selves, their communities were flopping they were kind of falling all over the, all over the place, you know, and where they didn't have like a clear mission and a vision. Yep. So as I started to see that more clearly in, in the work I was doing with these leaders, I started to also see it in my life. <laughs> I was looking at my business. I was looking at my brand and I was like, okay, cool. Create cell impact. Hmm. Is that what I really do? No, I don't. I mean, that's nice. It's gotten me here. It's helped me create these awesome relationships. What I really do is I create revolutionary communities. Mm. I invite transformational leaders to say yes to their vision, to themselves in such a way that their community can be revolutionary, that the level of their impact can be multiplied many, many times over. Wow, that's what I do. And so, yeah, about a month ago, I was at an event with a gentleman. His name is Alok Abadurai. His, his brand is called Uplift Millions. Mm. And you guys should definitely get to know him. I think you guys would love him and he would love you guys, okay. by the way. Side note, but I was at his event and he actually led an experience at the beginning of the event to open up the event. And the, the experience was this. I want to invite you in to imagining that right now here in this room, seven generations of your family before you are also here with you. Hmm. Holy freaking cow. Mm. So in that moment, I started to have pictures. I, I pictured my mamita. I pictured my mom and dad. One thing I didn't tell you about my mom and dad is they were, they were a huge part and very pivotal in the revolutionary war in the Philippines. It's mm. called people's power. And my father actually stood up to Ferdinand Marcos and said, I am not on your side. And that's, there's a lot there, but he had to stand in his brave. He ended up in hiding for a while. And my family, we, that's how we moved here to the U S. So in that I saw him, I saw my dad say, no, I saw my mom pick up three children and race across to the other side of the globe for safety. I saw my grandmother, you know, in her journey of saying, no, not this. And yes, this new life. And then I saw her great-grandfather who was an escaped slave from Jamaica and mm. became and left Jamaica to move to Puerto Rico and become an educator and change lives all over, all over Puerto Rico from by being an educator. I saw that on my mom's side on my dad's side. All of a sudden I saw my, my, my grandmother and her mother. And then I saw her mother's mother, who was the first woman in Spain, one of the first women in Spain to ever go to college. And just the, the impact of all of these mm. humans. And this is just a few of the things that were coming through. And I was like, hey, mm. holy crap. I forgot that that was my DNA wow. too, right? All of us have stories like that. Yeah. All of us do in our own ways. And they weren't all perfect at all, but they, right. 
they had those pieces that made you you and, and made me me. Then Alok invited us to think about the seven generations to come. Mm-hmm. And, and that's like seven generations. That's like 210 years away, friends. Like that's, yeah. I've never thought about that ever. I'm thinking about what are we, what am I putting on my kid's plate today and tomorrow? What am I feeding them for dinner? Right. Like, and, and then I am thinking about like, how are my, my, my choices making an impact on their lives, but really I don't think too far out from that. So as I began to see my, my history, see me as a link in this process. And then the link that I am gets to be the reason that my 210, 215, 210 to 250 years from now, massive shift are going to change are going to take place because I said yes to my own bravery. Yes. More of that, please. Wow. Right. So that was when, for me, I was like revolutionary. I came, I came from revolutionaries. I'm creating revolutionaries. I, I work with, and when I say create, I don't even create not, not even biologically, but like with the clients I get to serve, I serve from that place. We're shifting the whole brand. And in that moment, I made that choice. I went, of course, as any good internet or online, you know, marketer and and entrepreneur does go on and try to see if you have the, if the URLs are available. Does the domain exist? Does the domain exist? So I go in, I'm like revolutionary community, revolutionary communities. Are you serious? They're available? Done. Talk to my trademark attorney. Nothing is, there's nothing there. So like I started suddenly, it was like in that moment, then the book you know, the book that I've been meaning to write for like three years, I've been saying I'm going to write for three years. It just flowed. Like I have the whole thing outlined within an afternoon, the podcast, right? So everything started to just like, boom, 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 boom. And that's when I knew, okay, this is, this is what's coming next. So from that, we're launching the podcast this fall and we're launching our workshop series and all this stuff to really get this word out even further. Well, I'm going to say we need a part two of this interview. <laughs> this is so fun, Rusha. This is so fun to hear about this evolution. If, there, if there's ever an example of the journey and, yeah. and riding the wave of, of the entrepreneur hit. And, you know, the theme I constantly hear from what you're saying, you've said it from the beginning, is this, this idea of wholeness and just how even... As you were talking about earlier, your friend showing up with a bottle of wine saying, hey, you're losing your wholeness. We, we need you yeah. back, mm-hmm. you know, and helping yeah. you navigate that. And, and what a beautiful message. It's, mm-hmm. it's not something that's very overt in what I hear you say, but, but it's under the surface. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we start with being whole. We start, what does that mean to be whole? And, and yeah. then building community around whole people. And people yeah. willing to support each other in being their whole selves, not to be more like me or to conform to this idea or this narrative. It's like, who are you? You're enough. And let's gather the rest of us. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I love it. I love Thank it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. And then the force, just to build on that, Brandon, what what I the, the force of your communities is not in a lot of communities are built to control. Mm. Your communities are built to help people find their identity and their own power. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. those are the ones, yeah. that's the reason when, when you work with somebody and they, they build a community, when they come from that place, you know, you, you mentioned why communities shrink and grow. Once that leader has that mission and they empower the people underneath them, like look out. Yeah. I mean, that's just so encouraging. That's right. That's you know? right. Yeah, I think we definitely have to have a part two at some point. We're going to give you some time to like see what this is about. But I think I think the listeners are going to be absolutely craving more of Marusha. This is mm-hmm. this is a, a, unlike any interview we've done so far. And it's been amazing. Yeah, we're absolutely honored that you took this hour with us. We could easily go another hour, but we'll we'll we're going to leave them wanting more, right? A good leader like let's we're gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna have them wanting more. So let's we'll do it at the perfect time. Exactly, it'll be so. Obviously, you're doing a lot of things. Would you just talk a little bit about how people can kind of jump in and be part of revolutionary community and what you're doing? Sure, absolutely. So what one of the things we're doing this fall is we're actually creating a workshop series. So I'm bringing in community leaders of communities that are shifting the planet in some way. 
and are really just changing the, the, the narrative around exactly what you said, you know, creating community to control versus creating community to, to really empower and transform our humanity as a world. So yeah, to access that, it would be go to revolutionarycommunities.com forward slash workshop. That's, that's phenomenal. And that's, that's available right now. They'll be able to see that when they go there. Yeah. Cool. Podcast coming this fall. Book coming when? 2023? 2023. I'm speaking with my publisher right now. She just, I I messaged her and she was like, I've been waiting for this conversation. I've been waiting for you. (laughs) I've been sitting by the phone. And then of course, too, if if they want a a great cup of coffee and they want to support a great group of women in Austin, they should go to perkyperky.com, correct? You got it. You got it. Well, this has been... This, like I said, this has been outstanding. Yeah. What a what a great way for for us to cap an afternoon, and uh, I think we're going to have a lot of great feedback from this episode. You you're really giving, and we just appreciate you sharing those stories. Very impactful. Oh, Bob, Wait, Brandon, you guys are the best. I truly appreciate being here with you as well. Very much so. Absolute joy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Innovative Founder with Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd, a show featuring the real stories of entrepreneurs making their beautiful dent in the world. If you like the show, let us know by leaving a rating. If you're an innovative business founder yourself with a story to tell, then you might just be our next guest. Reach out to us on InnovativeFounder.com and tell us your story. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Innovative Founder.